There's so much we can learn about ourselves when we think about trees. Did you know that in Psalm 1, God says you shall be like a tree? When we follow Jesus, it begins when we are like a tiny seed or a sapling, firmly planted and too weak to stand on its own. As we grow up in the truth, we send our roots down. They keep us fed and strong. But beware, becoming what God created us to be isn't always easy. There are bad forces that work against us, and it takes faith and discipline to get through them. But once you mature and discover your gifts, you grow fruit. Delicious fruit that you can share with everyone around you. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching how your life, which started out as a little seed, can multiply into the lives of others. This could be you, a majestic tree, going deep, growing wide, living tall, and bearing lots and lots of fruit. All right. Well, good morning, church. So glad to be with you today. Uh, thank you just on a personal note for your uh, notes of prayer uh, for me and my family, as well as so many others on staff who uh, were recently ill. Uh, so glad to be feeling better and on the other side of that. Praise the Lord. Uh, and now we're finally beginning our brand new sermon series on spiritual formation. I am so excited beyond words. My head's going to pop off right now from excitement. This is so important. As you can see, uh, we're going to be thinking and uh, talking and discussing a lot about trees. And uh, in fact, the logo of NBC is a tree. I don't know if anybody ever noticed that. Uh, and you might wonder, well, why, why is that? The reason, uh, friends, and what we will learn throughout this series, and this is the main point I want us to get, is that trees are God's ultimate object lesson for what he wants us to be like. Trees are God's ultimate object lesson for us as his uh, children. In other words, God says, as you look out and you see those big, beautiful, majestic trees, he says, that's what I want your life to look like. And so as we begin this series, I want to tell you a story about a tree. Uh, this, this one particular kind of tree uh, was found in the land of Israel. It was called the date palm tree. It's commonly found featured on many coins, and uh, it was a, a big part of many archaeological discoveries. Uh, this, this certain kind of tree was all over that area. Uh, the Hebrew word is Tamar. It's mentioned in Exodus 15. It's associated with the city of Jericho in the book of Judges, and the tree is found in many other places in the land of Israel. For 3,000 years, 3,000 years, this one particular kind of tree produced a source of of shelter, shade, medicine, and fruit for generations and generations of not just Jewish people in Israel, but all over the Middle East. And then came the Roman army. Then the legions came. And uh, because they knew that the date palm tree uh, was a large resource in the Jewish economy, through waves of political and military conquest and intentional destruction, the Roman armies wiped out the date palm tree. And so they strategically, because of a desire to cripple uh, the Jewish economy, they, 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 they made it so that the date palm tree no longer existed. You couldn't find a date palm tree anywhere. The date palm tree was extinct. Uh, the reason why I begin with that story is that trees, being God's ultimate object lesson for what he wants us to be like, are important for us as we think about this topic this morning. And as we look around as a church today, 
it appears that mature, spiritually formed Christians are becoming more and more rare. And we fear that perhaps they're even going to be extinct. In fact, as I look and speak and talk with other believers, I often find that they are frustrated by their own lack of spiritual progress in their spiritual lives. They hear that the Bible tells us that when we become a Christian, uh, old things are passed away, all things become uh, new, and uh, we are a new creation. We're more than conquerors. Uh, But then they find after they have accepted Christ, they still struggle with the same exact things that they struggled with before they accepted Christ. And why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that that we'll unpack together, but one of the primary reasons, I think, is because there is a disconnect. Uh, the, the, the reason I think this is a major problem is, is connected to the fact that the message that is proclaimed as central to Christianity is not necessarily connected to spiritual growth. In other words, the gospel we hear proclaimed in our day is merely about forgiveness and pardon or life in the hereafter. It's not really about the impact of Christ and his spirit that God has upon an individual when he comes upon them. But is the gospel just about our guilt being removed? Could there be more? So often when we think about hearing the gospel, we think about that question, What's going to happen if you die tonight? And that's a good question. I don't want to take away from that question. But there's another question. And the other question is, what's going to happen if you don't die tonight? What's going to happen between now and the day that you do one day pass along from this life? Does the gospel have an impact on the way that you think, your inner life, your family life, your finances, your emotions, your habits, your character, your integrity, your parenting decisions, your marriage, your work? Does the gospel really make a difference in your life, or is it just merely about getting to heaven? Uh, Richard Foster, one of the leading scholars in this discipline, says it this way, heaven is not the goal. It is the destination. The goal is that Christ be formed in you. But there's a disconnect between what's taught as essential in the Christian life and how we live in this life. So, for example, we hear about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all of those things, and we say, wow, that's wonderful. When I get to heaven, I'll be like that. But what if there's more for us in this life What if we really could become like a majestic, beautiful tree bearing fruit? That's the theme of our spiritual formation series. We'll be here for three months leading up till Easter. So how do you get the most out of this series? Well, let me give you three tips. First, pick up a workbook. We work really hard to supplement this series with this material. It's got places for you to take notes on the sermons. It has a lot of extra material we won't cover on Sunday mornings. And uh, there's some great benefit in processing that uh, together. If you haven't picked up a workbook, they're available in the Welcome Center. If you're watching online, just stop by the church office during the week and grab yours. I want to encourage you to bring your workbook with you to church to Sunday morning. 
uh, and put your name in it. It looks uh, suspiciously just like the other 300 workbooks that are all around here. So your name would be a good thing to have right in the front cover. Uh, and follow along with the sermon. There's a place to take notes there at the beginning of each chapter, at the beginning of every single sermon. And those notes are a record for you, not of what the preacher's saying. They're a record for you to, to remember what God has spoken to you during uh, the morning time in the scriptures. So uh, get a workbook. Number two, join a small group. I, I firmly believe that the information or the content is not going to make the biggest difference for you. Uh, we have lots of information. This material is best processed in the context of community, in the context of being with other brothers and sisters in Christ, bouncing it around with other believers. That's how we grow. There are many things you can successfully do alone. Growing as a Christian is not one of them. We need each other to grow. So this is the invitation. If you haven't joined a small group, there's still time. Look at our webpage and contact one of the small group leaders and sign up for a group. There's all different ages and stages. There's a men's group, a women's group, a young adult group. There's all kinds of different groups there for you. If you're not able to make a group happen, I encourage you just to get at least one other person in your life. Maybe it's your husband or wife or an accountability partner to go through this material together in the context of community. Bring your work workbook to your small group so that you can read it together, study, share, and pray with one another about everything you're learning over the next three months. I know that sounds like a big commitment, but some of you, it's nothing for like a three-month commitment on Netflix or you're gonna tune in once a week to This Is Us over the next three months. I'm just asking you, dig in with us for three months and I think you'll get the most out of this series in that way. Number three, do the spiritual formation exercises at the end of each chapter in the workbook. There's a 15-minute exercise at the end of each chapter for you to do in your own personal devotional private time with the Lord. And we are hoping and we are praying uh, that God is going to speak directly and very personally to you in this series, breathing fresh air into your spiritual life, especially if it's grown kind of cold or grown kind of dormant over the last season. And our prayer is that anyone going through this material is going to be feeling the Spirit of God uh, tugging on their heart, challenging them to grow in new areas. And we're just praying that God would set our whole church on a new trajectory towards spiritual growth and spiritual formation, all for his glory. It's all possible because he's made this so. So every week, we're gonna look at one aspect of spiritual formation, and we're gonna ask ourselves, God, where are you, the spirit of God, challenging me to grow right now? If you have your workbook, there's a place to take notes on today's message on page eight. And so turn there with me, if you will. And by way of introduction, I'm just gonna look at the five different phases of the growth of a tree Five distinct phases of spiritual growth. So there'll be a five-part outline for those of you following along. There's the planted phase, then there's the rooted phase, then there's the growing phase, the maturing phase, and the multiplying phase. Planted, rooted, growing, maturing, multiplying. There'll be a test after three months, so memorize those five phases. Just kidding. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. God, thank you so much. We pause for just a moment. We just want to dedicate this time in your word to you. We dedicate and consecrate this entire series. Please free us right now from distractions and from anything that would uh, bring cynicism into our heart, anything that would prevent us from hearing from you. you. You have our attention. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Bless our time in your word. Set apart these next 14 weeks and have your way. 
We ask you that you would do above and beyond all we could ask or even imagine. In Jesus' name we pray for his reputation. Amen. Amen. Okay, phase one, the planted face. Uh, For eight years of our life, we lived in a house where we had a beautiful white oak tree right in the front yard. It was an amazing tree, hundreds and hundreds of years old. I'm not exactly sure, but what I do know is every single year, it would drop these little acorns all over our driveway, all over our roof. They would ping on top of the roof, waking us up in the middle of the night. Ping, there's another acorn. Ping on the roofs of the car. They would be everywhere, all of these acorns. And though they were a little annoying... To be honest, these seeds were always amazing to me. They were always amazing because certainly one of the first things that we observe is how remarkable such a large creation could come from such a small beginning. You might remember that our Lord Jesus one day picked up an even smaller seed, a mustard seed, and used that seed to contrast the beginnings of his kingdom. Remember when he said this in Matthew 13? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And so here we remember that Jesus began his kingdom with 12 often unreliable disciples, But this movement eventually would have billions and billions of followers, and he made this promise before the church even existed. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is how it would all begin? This is the way God works? And so I think the lesson we learn here right off the the get-go here is that we all start small. We all start small, just as human life begins with a needy infant When we are saved, we begin our journey of spiritual formation as Christians, as spiritual infants. Now, we're not to stay that way, but we all start that way. Small, fragile, delicate, vulnerable. If you plant a seed or if you plant a tiny sapling, it can easily be pulled out of the ground. But then it eventually grows into this mature, strong, healthy tree that won't budge. But the process starts small. We all start small. Uh, Take a look with me at Ezekiel 17. There's another lesson uh, from the seed. In this passage, God is using the allegory of a tree and seeds to make a promise to his people Israel about restoring them after exile. It, It says this in Ezekiel 17, 22. Thus says the Lord God, I will also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel, I will plant it that it may bring forth boughs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar, and birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. Now, what I want to emphasize emphasize from this passage in Ezekiel is a, a second lesson from the seed, and the lesson is simply that planting the seed is God's work. Do you see that he's the one who takes the sprig, and he's the one who plants it, which is another way of saying that God is the one who saves us. We do not save ourselves. The reason I have spiritual life at all, the reason you have spiritual life at all is because God did a work inside of us. 
Therefore, there's no room for any pride in any corner of the kingdom of God because we owe our very lives to him. Friends, planting the seed is God's work. Friends, to be a Christian does not mean I used to be wild in college and now I'm not. I got my act together. To be a Christian does not mean I used to sleep around and I used to get high, but I made some changes and I cleaned up my life. That is not Christianity. That's not what our faith teaches. That's not what we believe. Instead, we believe we are the fruit of receiving a righteousness that is foreign, that is not our own. There should be no swagger in the kingdom of God. We all have to walk with a limp. We, we, ha- we have nothing to boast about except the cross of Jesus Christ. We are all what, what, what's called wounded healers. There's nothing to brag about. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And this is hard for us. This is hard for me. I'm a doer. I want to make things happen. But I need to believe right here that the only reason that I'm even in the family of God is because he made it so. The only reason I'm here is because there was a divine sovereign decree where God chose to save me from my sin. That's a gift. It's not earned. So we learn here from this planted phase, number one, that we all start small, and number two, that it's God who's the one who plants the seed. God gives us life. And I think the implication for us here is obvious, isn't it? We ought to be humble. We ought to be humble in light of our humble beginnings. We're going to talk much more about the seed over the next two messages. So let me turn now to the roots of the tree. Interestingly, nearly all of the 56 references to roots in the Bible are figurative. Uh, Roots are those things in our spiritual lives that are the most basic. They're the most foundational, like saving faith and obedience. Let me just share with you five examples from the Bible that talk about roots. The Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 11, if the root is holy, the branches are too. He also says that we are to be rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3, 17. The Colossians are complimented, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in faith, Colossians 2.7. And the prophet Isaiah says in 2 Kings 19, verse 30, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And finally, the sage tells us in Proverbs chapter 12, the root of the righteous will not be moved. And so there's a lot we can learn about from the roots, but one pretty obvious lesson is this. The strength of the tree is in the roots. The strength of the tree is not in the leaves. It's not in the trunk. It's not even in its large branches. It is in the roots. There was a a tornado that ripped through a certain town in Oklahoma a few years back. And basically, this whole town was uprooted and destroyed, except there was this one tree in the rubble. The leaves were stripped off the tree at the time. The branches were broken, but the roots held firm somehow. And this surviving little tree led the community to to rename it the hope tree. Friends, that's exactly what our faith does for us. In fact, our faith says you can cut the whole tree down, even take our very lives because our strength is in the roots. And if the roots remain, then even death can be defeated. Roots are, of course, unseen. They're less visible to the eye. 
And therefore, I think spiritually we can say that our roots are often sent down, spiritually speaking, in those private times that we spend with the Lord, in those times where we spend devotional moments with him, behind closed doors, in your prayer closet. You might remember the prophet Daniel prayed three times a day, just him and the Lord. I often read missionary biographies, and they challenge me with the hours of time that these individuals, men and women, spent in prayer and Bible study, and they were used greatly by God. Even Jesus Christ often got away by himself to pray with his Father. And so I think the lesson we can learn from the roots of the tree related to that first lesson is simply this. You can't go up without first going down. You can't go up without first going down. If you want strong branches, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to be built up, then you, brother or sister, you must first send your roots down deep. I often pick on my father-in-law for illustrations because I married up. And he is to me uh, like a spiritual oak tree in, in my in-law family. And he's just a very mature believer. And one reason why I think he enjoyed so many seasons of fruitfulness in his life is because year after year, what I observed in his home is he sent deep roots into the Word of God through personal Bible study. For example, when I was preaching through Exodus last fall, he lent me a resource that he had used when he went through Exodus by A.W. Pink. It had all of his notations in the margin and all the things that he had underlined when he went through Exodus. And he has many other books, the products of years of private study done early in the morning or late at night in the midst of a very busy family, two successful careers, neither of which had anything to do with the ministry. He was an electrician, but yet he took time to send his roots deep down into the word of God. Friends, remember, your public effectiveness for God will never be greater than your private devotions with God. Your public effectiveness for God is never going to exceed your private devotions with God. So send your roots deep down. If you want to go up, you must first go down. So just can I ask you personally, are you studying your Bible? Are you praying regularly? Are you prioritizing your own relationship with God in private? This is one of the reasons why we put together this workbook for you to be a tool in that way, because that is the strength, the foundational stuff that will sustain you during the difficult times. So we've learned some lessons from the seed, and we've learned some lessons from the roots, and now we're going to turn our attention towards what's the more visible parts of the tree, its trunk, branches, and, and leaves as the tree begins to grow. And so that's phase three, the, the growing phase. Spiritual growth is a mysterious cooperation uh, where the Holy Spirit is at work in you powerfully, but yet at the same time, it's God who's at work in you, but you also are working both to do and to will that which is pleasing to God. And so there's an intentionality on our part as human beings. One of the thought leaders on this topic is Dallas Willard, and he wrote in his book, The Great Omission, that there's really only two questions that every church needs to ask and answer. Number one, what is your plan for discipleship? And two, how is that plan going? What's your plan? How's it going? A personal burden of mine, since I serve here as one of the pastors of spiritual formation, is to make sure that our 
congregation is pursuing intentionally their own spiritual formation. And so this is a humble attempt to nudge us in that direction towards spiritual formation. Robert Mulholland, in his excellent book on this, Invitation to a Journey, defines spiritual formation like this. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. A simple way to understand spiritual formation is there's an outer you and there's an inner you. The outer you is being formed all the time for better or for worse. And just like that, in a similar way, there's an inner you, inner thoughts, feelings, and habitual patterns and desires that are also being shaped and formed all of the time. We're always being formed. The question is, who or what are we allowing to form us? Are we allowing the Word of God to form us by the power of this Holy Spirit, or are we, are we being more formed by our, uh, our, our friendships or our, our observance of, of cable news or Instagram? Who exactly are we allowing to form our lives? So as a Christian, the invitation here is we want the Holy Spirit to form our life. Another word to describe this process in the Bible is sanctification. But this kind of growth is not easy. There are forces at work against us. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so spiritual growth has to be intentional. It requires cultivation. We're going to use an organic sort of botanical metaphor here. Cultivating the Christian life. That means there's grace-driven effort on our part. It's grace-driven, meaning this is not a works-based system where we're earning God's favor meritoriously. It's grace-driven, meaning out of gratitude, we want to become all that God has for us to be. Now, I personally do not have a green thumb. When it comes to doing stuff outside and planting trees, over the last 25 years, I've lost count how many trees I have killed out in our yard. I try, but just I get distracted and I forget to water the thing, and then like a week goes by, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh man, another one bites the dust. And so my wife and I, you know, she gets frustrated with me because I just don't have that green thumb. I neglect it. Just like that, if we neglect the cultivation of our spiritual life, we're going to experience a lack of health, a lack of growth spiritually. One of my favorite quotes about this is from D.A. Carson, who says, quote, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, we, we do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift other places. And so spiritual formation must be intentional. Often this time of year, we have a lot of people making New Year's resolutions, showing up to the gym. But often, after the first two or three weeks of January at the gym, the momentum fades, the parking lot begins to clear out, there's more room on the treadmill and the elliptical because all of the January people have faded away. Why is that? Why can't people last more than two or three weeks on their New Year's resolutions? I think we need to acknowledge that physical fitness in a way, kind of analogously, can be a slow process. It can be an arduous process. It can feel foreign at first. There's bumps in the road. There's plateaus we have to push through. And there's barriers uh, to get to what's beyond us. But we must cultivate this growth if we want to see the results God has for us. The same is true in the spiritual life. There's ups and downs. There's ups and downs in your spiritual life. You may feel like your spiritual life is a yo-yo. Two steps forward, one step back, up and down, up and down. But let me assure you, don't be discouraged. It's not a yo-yo. You are like a yo-yo in the hands of a man going up an escalator. 
the God of all the universe has you in the palm of his hand and he is the one who's got you on this trajectory towards spiritual growth. And over the years, you will see progress. You will know the promise of Philippians chapter one. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. He wants to conform you to the image of his son and he will get that for which Jesus Christ purchased. And that is our destiny as children of God. We don't often celebrate every single inch of a tree's growth. We often don't even notice a tree's growth. It's slow, it's gradual. When my kids were little, we had this one wall where we would mark their heights and we didn't oftentimes notice that they had gotten taller, but sure enough, when we brought them over to that wall, oh, there's another inch, there's another two inches. Growth like that sometimes is imperceptible spiritually. Sometimes it just happens and we don't even know that we've grown, but sure enough, it occurs. And so there's a, there's a principle we need to really think about here, and that's this. Spiritual growth is often slow and gradual. It's often slow and gradual. I remember when I was training for a certain race, to, to do a certain race, and I, I would get out there, and I would run, and I would do my thing. And I, Though after a few weeks of training, I had gotten faster, I didn't feel any faster. I didn't even notice the progress that was made. It's slow, it's gradual, sometimes it's imperceptible. Just like that, spiritual growth is sometimes imperceptible. And I think an implication of this is pretty obvious. It means we should be more patient with one another. It means that we are all at different levels of spiritual growth. We have some seasoned oak trees in our church, and we have some young saplings, and that's a good thing. That is by design. But often, what I see is sometimes... Some Christians who think they are more mature actually tend to get frustrated with newer believers who have some rough edges, as with children, and they could be quite impatient with those younger, less mature believers, but that is how God designed it to be. And so we need to have patience because spiritual growth is slow and it happens over time. And we also need to be careful what kind of weight we give to a younger believer. You ever try to hang a hammock on a tree that's a little bit too small, all of a sudden you jump on that hammock, crack, the tree, the tree doesn't handle the weight. Just like that, we have to be careful not to give a young believer too much weight too soon. We can't put unrealistic expectations on growing trees based on their maturity level. And so we need to be patient and wise in how we treat one another. We're all at different levels of spiritual maturity. So that's the growing phase. Phase four, the maturing phase. And here, I want to come back to that word picture with which I started, that God's ultimate object lesson for us as people is for us to become like a tree. Now, one of the driving passages and scriptures that we'll use throughout this series is Psalm chapter 1. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible about a tree. Uh, take a look at what it says. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see the roots going deep down there? He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Uh, just take a look at the screen. This is a picture of the child of God being blessed in all things, using this vivid image of a healthy tree, flowing water, 
no withering, lots of fruit, no fear of being uprooted. And so I want to draw a lesson here, which might seem a little counterintuitive, but stay with me. I think it will make sense. In the visible tree, we find beauty and God's glory. In the visible tree, we find beauty and God's glory. Remember, God is trying to motivate us to avoid evil and live a life of obedience to him. And he uses a beautiful tree to do so. He does not say, follow me and you will be like the water buffalo. He does not say, follow me and you'll be like that thistle plant over there. Though those things are, they have their own purpose. I understand that. But he says, follow me and you'll be like that beautiful, majestic tree you see. Now, who wouldn't want a life like that? You remember in the Garden of Eden, even Eve saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. Jeremiah said the Lord's blessing was a green olive tree, beautiful in fruit and form. Ezekiel uses a tree again and again. One of his prophecies in chapter 31, verse 7 says, the tree was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches. One of the more famous trees in the Bible is in Daniel 4, a tree that represented Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's described this way. Take a look with me at verse 11. It says, The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant. The point in all of these passages is that trees are gorgeous. Trees are wonderful. Trees are marvelous. Trees are beautiful. And so is a person who's fully devoted to God. The psalmist has told us in Psalm 1, you too can have this if you are faithful to him. The other option, friends, is not so good. Take a look with me back at Psalm chapter 1, verse 4. He says, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. I remember one time I joined the Y, and on the walls were these quotes and graphics of really fit, healthy people. Low body fat, lots of energy. And the purpose of these images, I think, was to give us somewhat overweight, middle-aged club members motivation of what could be <clears throat> if we just devoted ourselves to this regimen of fitness and exercise. And I think the point in surrounding us with these pictures is, hey, fitness is attainable. And friends, the point in the Bible, using the tree, serves the same exact purpose for us. God is saying that a spiritually mature life, a blessed life, is attainable. If you will devote yourself to God's word and devote yourself to Christ, you too will have a beautiful life. You will be like a tree but the choice is yours. And so I think a second lesson from the visible tree is, is a word of warning, and it's this. God's beauty can be abused and turned into pride. God's beauty can be abused and turned into pride. When, when we begin to follow the Lord Jesus more closely, when we start to see in our life answered prayer, when we start to see some success in parenting, healthy marriage, financial stability, our tendency is to forget that it is God's glory and God's beauty at work in us and pat ourselves on the back and become prideful. You might remember King Nebuchadnezzar 
experienced this. He said to himself in chapter 4, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? And so sadly, his beautiful wife, that tree, was cut down and taken away from him. Why? Because God opposes the proud. And so friends, let the strength and the beauty of the tree motivate you to follow Christ closely But, but, but never forget, it was God who planted that tree and grew it up. Your blessings reflect his glory and beauty, and we are reminded once again to live humble lives, a key ingredient in all spiritual growth. We'll come back to that again and again. Phase five, multiplication. And so we come to the fifth part of our study of the tree, which is the fact that trees are made to reproduce themselves. Trees are made to produce fruit for the good of others. We've already seen fruit in several passages. Psalm chapter 1 says it yields its fruit in season. Trees are made to multiply. And so the first lesson I think here from this fifth phase is that every tree has a purpose. The outcome for which it was designed, the tree is not to be beautiful and glorious all by itself. It is meant to do something. Some trees produce fruit, others provide shade, some provide home for birds. Many trees in the Bible are used for the quality of their wood. Every tree, though, has a purpose, and so do every one of God's people. So do you. As such, I think there's a challenge here uh, for us to look into, and that is we need to live our lives in great purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says something amazing here. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, you should take your purpose very seriously. There is no greater regret than to die feeling like you've largely wasted your life or squandered your purpose. And there's no greater joy than to know at the end of your life with profound satisfaction that though not perfectly, you did your best to accomplish the work that God prepared for you to do. As a church planter, young Apostle Paul said in the book of Acts, I do not consider my life to be of any value, but only that I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. And then at the very end of his life, sitting in a cold, dark dungeon, awaiting capital punishment, he wrote this to his good friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This was Paul's purpose, and he fulfilled it. But what about you? Have you fulfilled the purpose that God has for you? Do you take your purpose in life seriously? I remember author Francis Chan once said, his biggest fear in life was not failure. It was succeeding at stuff that doesn't matter. I find so many people living for lesser purposes in life, millions of Americans. Sports are such a big reason for living. Nothing wrong with sports, but is that your main purpose? For others, it's money or fame or some hobby or some other form of pleasure. May I humbly suggest a higher calling Do the work of God and bear the fruit of God. Now, how do you know what that work is? Pursuing spiritual formation 
is a good start. And then participating in the life of the church will help you continue because it is often in community that we find our callings and our gifts. And so let me review. Uh, We've learned today from the first phase that we all start small and we ought to be humble and patient. We've learned that we need to put our roots deep into God's word and that will carry us through the hard times. We've learned that if we devote ourselves to following Jesus Christ, we too can grow and mature and multiply and we can build a strong, beautiful life that reflects God's glory and beauty and bear much fruit. And so let me just pause for a second here and ask you to do a heart checkup. How are you doing in terms of your own spiritual formation right now? On page 20 of your workbook, one of the exercises that you'll do is just a spiritual formation assessment. It's a simple assessment. You'll spend 15 minutes with God and ask yourself some questions. And this is where you'll begin. Here in this assessment, you're going to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in several different areas. And you're just going to ask yourself, God, what have I become? What kind of person am I? For example, question number one says this, I am aware of many areas where I need to grow. As such, I encourage and listen to feedback when I'm criticized. And I have the ability to be thankful for the opportunity to grow in my self-awareness, my relationship with God, and my relationships with others. Rate yourself, scale of one to 10. Question two is about how you relate to the word of God. It says, I love the Bible. When I'm asked a question about the Bible, I can answer with clarity and I'm excited to share how I've experienced powerful application in my own spiritual life in many areas. You'll rate yourself, one to 10. This is just an honest self-checkup. Like when you go to the doctor once a year and get a physical. And if you score a little low in some areas, don't despair. That's why we're doing this series. That's exciting. Those are areas where you can grow. And if you score really high in those areas, don't get prideful. That's because God has been at work in you in those areas as well. This is a series designed to reignite your passion and your flame for pursuing God, pursuing spiritual formation in his power and walking closely with the king. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I don't know about that assessment. I don't know about my life. It's just too far gone. It's too late for me. I don't know about any of this stuff, but can I encourage you, you're here this morning, you're listening online, that that might not be the voice of God you're listening to. That might be the voice of your enemy, Satan, talking to you, and that's not the voice you need to listen to. In fact, God says, you will be like a strong, majestic tree. That's my destiny for you. So let me finish where I first began. Do you remember I told you that story about the date palm tree in the beginning? Well, interestingly, after 1,500 years, 1,500 years went by, and in the year 1963, in the village of Masada, there was a group of archaeologists working there, and they unearthed a jar of, guess what? Date palm trees. You guessed it. Seeds, date date palm tree seeds, seeds in this jar that were 2,000-year-old seeds. Now, for the next 40 years, these seeds were just stuck in a drawer somewhere, and in the year 2005, an Israeli researcher named Elaine Soloway decided, I'm going to try to plant one of these things. Let me just see what would happen. She assumed the food and the seed would be no good after all that time. I mean, how could it be? But wouldn't you know? After eight weeks, that seed sprouted and that seed flowered. 
It was the oldest seed to ever germinate, the oldest seed to ever uh, germinate. It soon became a tree, and it actually produced fruit, uh, light brown, fibrous, chewy, honey-colored fruit. Amazing. They named this tree Methuselah after the longest-lived person in the Bible. Friends, we may not see a whole lot of spiritually mature people around us, or we may not see a whole lot of spiritual fruit in our lives right now. Maybe it's been a year of dormancy for many of us. But I just want you to know, as we begin this series, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you carry around inside of you the most powerful seed on the planet in your very heart. It's never too late to begin to cultivate the growth of that seed on the inside of you in your spiritual life. You too will experience fruitfulness. God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of you, and he wants to grow you and shape you and mature you so that you, too, will be a strong, majestic tree. Do you want that for your life? That's what this series is all about. This could be you, a strong, majestic tree, going deep, growing tall, bearing lots and lots of fruit. Can you imagine a man or woman committed to spiritual formation like this? Can you imagine a a boy or a girl? or Can you imagine a whole church full of individuals who are willing to say, I'm gonna set aside time and I'm gonna pursue God like never before over the course of this series? Can you imagine a church full of people like that? Let's be that church. Can we pray together? As the worship team comes, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for putting this message in creation all around us that provides such a powerful lesson for us that we couldn't even miss it. Uh, For those of us who know our lives are not like a tree firmly planted right now, I pray that you would encourage us. May we be motivated today to turn from sources of life that are far from you and embrace your ways. Help us, God, to send our roots deep into the wisdom of your word so that our lives might grow and reflect the beauty of your glory and all that you have for your people. We ask this for Christ's sake and for his reputation. Amen.